Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. This is the Bob Cordaro Show podcast. WILK News Radio. This beautiful Wednesday, November 15th. This is the Bob Cordaro Show. I am he. It is a big day to fight for America, defend our values, and honor the brave who have made us. Keep that music playing, Bulldog. What are you turning that off for? I love that song. The Honor the brave who have made us and kept us free. Like Tom Rivenberg, originally of Carbondale. Francis Cribbs. Originally of Carbondale. Robert Carla Glitto, Pottsville. Bill Scammer, Dallas. And somebody wrote in echoing what a gentleman Bill Scammer was. So thank you for that. We, we love when they're acknowledged. So um, Road Scholar Transport brings you our hours. Just a great company. I'm telling you, if, if, if to work with them... It's seamless, and to work for them is a pleasure. Road Scholar, unique. if you have unique shipping needs, Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van, temperature-controlled, and high security are just a few. Visit roadscholar.com to find out more. So Rick Bigelow is our one of our resident historians, particularly when it relates to the Pacific. And uh, we're back to the Solomon Island campaign and Bougainville. Rick Bigelow, uh, patent attorney extraordinary, welcome back. Thanks, Bob. Good to be with you. All right. Tell us about this effort, which was from November of 43 to August of 45. It was the concluding strike of World War II. Right. Uh, well, we uh, this was the Bougainville campaign was... The, the the third and and uh, biggest uh, uh, attack and, and campaign. It was the the last one in the in the Solomon Islands, and we had uh, prevailed at Guadalcanal in forty two and forty three. We'd taken New Georgia in in forty three, and our objective was still to go after the major uh, Japanese naval base at Rabaul. Uh, Rabaul was formidable. It had a hundred thousand troops. Sailors. It had three airfields, all kinds of ships, major anchorages, and everything like that. So we needed to go after that, and we we needed to get a little bit closer to Rabaul so that we could neutralize it. Uh, we could fly bombers and and uh, light bombers out of uh, Guadalcanal and out of New Georgia, 
but the fighters couldn't make it all the way to Rabal and back, so we needed to get a little bit closer. And, uh, you know, here we are in November of 1943. It was 80 years ago. And back in the U.S., you know, it's starting to get cold. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming along. And now we've got another 25,000 soldiers, sailors, and Marines who are going to embark on another jungle campaign right near the equator where it doesn't matter what season it is. It's always hot and humid. Rick Bigelow, uh, a friend of the show, uh, Rick Kintner, had had texted in just to interrupt you, but to say we had skin in that game. His father, Milford Farr Kintner, served in Bougainville with the I think it's 3rd RD Marine Corps Division. So, yeah, yeah we, third, we, we third had Marine. skin in that game. Oh, th- okay, 3rd Marine. Yeah, yeah. And, and, well, the 3rd Marines and, and the 37th, uh, the Army's 37th Infantry Division, uh, which was a national, a federalized National Guard unit from Ohio. So these guys are from Ohio. No. They're used to it getting cold in the wintertime, and they're down there in the jungle. <laughs> Of course, the Marines are from all over. You know, they weren't yeah. they weren't uh, regional. So anyway, Bougainville was uh, it, it's got a French name. Was uh, discovered by a French explorer back in the 1700s, and he named the island after himself. All right, let's let, for for context. Uh, tell us, Rick Bigelow, where is it located vis-a-vis Japan? Well, we're still uh, maybe a thousand miles or so from Japan. Southeast um, and, of Japan? Yeah, it's okay. definitely southeast of Japan. Oh, uh, and it's, it's north and east of Australia. Uh, and uh, it's, this light is it's basically east like of, uh, of New Guinea. And uh, <laughs> south and, and east of the Philippines. And, of course, the distances in the Pacific are, are amazing. Yeah, you know, they're yeah. thousands yeah. and thousands of miles. So we still got a long way to go. Uh, so uh, the uh, Aussies took over. And administered the colony after after World War One, the Japanese army landed there in March of '42, and built airfields and, and basically it was an outer protection ring for uh, the major base at Rabaul. So anyway, we decided we needed to, uh, to to go to Bougainville so that our fighters could provide yes. air cover for the bombers going all the way into Rabaul. And one other interesting note about uh, Bougainville. That's where the plane that uh, was carrying Fleet Admiral Isoroko Yamamoto was shot down in April of 1943 by and Army P-38s that, that were flying out of Guadalcanal. And and a, a huge loss of the Japanese. Yeah, it, it was so major that they didn't tell the Japanese public about it Brian, for about a month did you, after did it you happened. Did you do your health benefits? So basically, uh, Bougainville was going to be benefits? in... In uh, MacArthur's area of responsibility, but he was busy over on uh, New Guinea with some major operations coming up. So he he let Halsey take over uh, the operation. And this is amazing because MacArthur had no respect for the Navy at all. And uh, the one admiral he liked was uh, was Halsey. So Halsey uh, said, okay, we're going to go into Bougainville and we're going to establish bases. And just to, to put everything in perspective, in, in 1943, uh, the Allies were working their way up the Italian peninsula, uh, and uh, MacArthur was getting ready for the big pushes in New Guinea. 
and the island hopping campaign across the Central Pacific was getting going with uh, operations at uh, Tarawa and Macon Island. So we were on the offensive, and this is when the uh, amazing industrial capacity of the United States and the willingness of our of our soldiers, sailors, and airmen to uh, to fight was uh, was uh, coming into the fore, and we were pushing the Japanese back, but they weren't going to give it up uh, easily. So. So uh, Halsey plans an attack. To At this point in time, there were some 50,000 Japanese troops on Bougainville. And if there's one thing we know, the Japanese That's troops amazing. don't surrender. They, they fight to the death. So it was going to be another tough slog. And like I said, there are 25,000 or so soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen that were getting uh, ready for this one. So the, the Japanese knew we were going to attack. They knew we were going to continue going up the Solomons, but they weren't really sure where. Initially, they thought we would attack Kolombangara, uh, which is a volcanic island just northwest of New Georgia. But we bypassed that and, and stranded uh, fifteen or 20,000 Japanese soldiers on that. Instead, we, we set our sights on Bougainville. Now, like I said, the Japanese had major bases on Bougainville in, in the south, east, and the northern sections but they had none on the West. And, and just like all the other Solomon Islands, uh, Bougainville had dense jungles, soaring peaks that went up to 8,000 feet in the interior, wow. and dirt, mud roads. How big is this island, uh, Rick Bigelow? How big is this island? Well, it's it's uh, about uh, twice the size of New Jersey. So, you know, kind of the size of Pennsylvania, something okay. like that. So and big. It, it was big, and it was very tough to get from one part of the island to another overland because of the peaks and the jungle and the, the rain and the mud, the disease, and so on. So everything you know that happened was pretty much along the peripheries, along the, the coastal areas. So Halsey decides to invade at Empress Augusta Bay, which was in the west, and establish a perimeter there. There were very few Japanese troops there, and, of course, our intelligence was really good at this point in time. Uh, we knew that the other areas would be difficult to land, that they would be difficult operations. So we went into Empress Augusta Bay. And, and just to show how many, how many troops we had and how, how much supplies and everything, we staged a temporary false landing on another island called Choiselle, huh. which was southeast of Bougainville, to confuse the Japanese. So we landed, stayed for a couple hours, and then we left. <laughs> so the Japanese didn't know what we were doing. And, and so uh, the 3rd Amphibious Fleet transported 14,000 Marines, and that's from the 3rd Marine Division and the 37th Infantry Division of the Army and the Seabees to what's known as Cape Torakina in uh, Bougainville. Halsey's plan was to establish a perimeter and quickly build an airstrip to fend off Japanese air attacks. So the Japanese were completely taken by surprise and did not launch an air attack uh, during the landing. Mm. So our Marines and soldiers got ashore quickly, established uh, defensive positions. I think there were only something like 270 Japanese soldiers there, and they were quickly annihilated. We're talking with Rick Bigelow about the Bougainville landing, and uh, we're going to take a break and come back. 
I, I think of uh, Rick Kittner, who sent in as you're telling this history, and he's hearing where his father was. And his father may not have even talked about it. <laughs> like, uh, this, is, this is important history. Thank you, Rick Bigelow. We'll take a break. We'll come back with uh, the continuation of the Bougainville campaign. We'll be back. It's the Bob Cadaro Show. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We're back. America released their album Homecoming. Ventura Highway. This date, 1972. I remember when I moved to Los Angeles, uh, seeing the Ventura Highway was exciting to me because of this song. (laughs) And before that, 1966, this date, the flight of Gemini 12, the final mission of the Gemini program, ends successfully as astronauts James Lovell and Edwin Buzz Aldrin splashed down safely in the Atlantic after spending four days in orbit. Amazing, these people. Amazing. Never forget that. Uh, The same as the people we're talking about here, Bougainville. By the way, our friend Ed uh, Rick Bigelow tells me that Bougainville is close to the area where the PT-109 was. Is that about right? Yeah, that was uh, PT-109 went down... uh, near the New Georgia Islands, uh, and uh, Kennedy, uh, of course, uh, acted heroically to uh, to get his men to safety. Uh, but, you know, back in those days, uh, it, it was it was jungle and uh, and desert islands and so on and so forth. So it was a rather remarkable story. So Bougainville is maybe 100 miles north of there. Okay. So continue, my friend. So anyway, uh, like I said, the, the Japanese were caught completely by surprise, and uh, they almost immediately sent a, uh, a task force down to attack the Americans. They had a, a thousand uh, Japanese troops on, on troop ships and destroyer escorts. Uh, we spot we had a plane spotted the convoy, strafed it, started uh, you know bombers were coming in and attacking it. So the troop uh, transports turned back, but the uh, cruiser-destroyer force uh, kept going towards uh, the landing beach, and that's when the uh, U.S. Navy uh, met and defeated the Japanese Navy in the naval battle of Empress Augusta Bay. Uh, The Japanese had four cruisers, six destroyers, 100 aircraft, and they met a U.S. uh, task force of four light cruisers and destroyers. Uh, Since Guadalcanal... 
the Navy had gotten a lot better at fighting the Japanese, and uh, we basically uh, prevailed in that, sank a, a, a Japanese destroyer and damaged four other uh, ships. We lost 19 sailors. The Japanese uh, lost over 500. And this is a recurring theme from this point on. The, the number of Japanese uh, killed and wounded far surpassed the numbers of American and allies who were killed and, and wounded in all these uh, naval battles. Rick Bigel, and, and let, this me, was the, let me ask a question. Was Were we getting, we had, in, we had in, uh, stolen their codes, and right. we could we could understand their communications, I guess. Was that being done in real time, or or was that something that could only be used strategically down the road? It it, uh, it basically took a couple days uh, okay. for the codes to be intercepted. That's, I, I was wondering then, about how we 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 just kept decimating them in uh, naval confrontations, and. Uh, I guess it played a role in the preparation, but not in the actual battles. Right. Yeah, I, I think the, the fact was that uh, we were just getting better at yeah. naval warfare. Uh, they had a huge advantage initially, and we got better. And, and a lot of that was because uh, we developed radar. Yeah. Uh, the Japanese didn't really uh, develop radar in, until uh, much later in the war, and our radars were better. And, you know, once again... This was because we had a lot of really good scientists, uh, mostly Jewish, who came from uh, Germany and, and uh, Eastern Europe. And one of the things they worked on, aside from the atomic bomb, was, was radar and metallurgy and everything like that that uh, helped the industrial base. Yeah. So anyway, we, uh, this was the last major naval confrontation of the Solomons campaign. Uh, there were going to be a lot of other naval confrontations in the future. Uh, in the meantime, when the uh, the, the sailors and, or pardon me, the soldiers and the Marines uh, worked to expand the beachhead, and of course, uh, as soon as as soon as the tanks rolled off the LSTs and and heavy trucks and heavy uh, uh, artillery, right behind them came the bulldozers, and the bulldozers and the construction vehicles. And while the battles were going on at the beach, they were there, uh, you know, knocking down trees and and, uh, and clearing the land so they could build airstrips. Yeah. Uh, a couple days later, uh, the Japanese landed a thousand troops east of the beachhead and attacked the Marine sector. Uh, the Marines prevailed. Uh, there were uh, about 370 Japanese killed in action. Uh, and only uh, 17 U.S. Uh, Marines were killed in action. So that was kind of the end of the first phase where we landed and uh, and beat back uh, the initial uh, Japanese resistance and an initial Japanese attack. The second phase comes uh, when the, the Japanese thought we would take the whole island. They thought we would land and branch out. So the Japanese built defensive uh, uh, bulwarks and so on. Uh, after a while, it looked like we weren't going to expand our perimeter. We were happy with what we got. We had airstrips. Uh, we were building up supplies. We were building up uh, facilities. And so the Japanese decided to attack again. There were two attacks in, in March of 1944 that basically uh, had met some success. But eventually the soldiers and the Marines uh, drove off 
the, the Japanese. And at this point in time, Japanese were running out of supplies, so they withdrew to uh, positions north and south of, of the airstrip at Empress Augusta Bay. Uh, at this point in time, our fighters were escorting bombers into Rabaul, and uh, it became clear to the Japanese that uh, Rabaul was going to be subjected to continual uh, airstrikes uh, from from uh, New Georgia and Bougainville and even some coming in uh, from Guadalcanal. So they pulled their fighters out, and they started to pull a lot of their ships out. In, in May of uh, 1944... Rick, if you know, the, Rick Bigelow, if you know, what was the Japanese war machine and industrial capacity to produce planes like this? Certainly nowhere limited. near ours. <laughs> nowhere near ours. And, and, you know, basically the, uh, the emperor commanded that they build 10,000 airplanes and, you know, 25 capital ships. Uh, every year in the 1940s, and and they fell far short of that. They had built up over time in the 30s, and they had a formidable air and naval force in when the war started. But you know, we would lose a ship, and we'd have two more coming down the gangway. Uh, we would lose a plane, and we had ten more coming. Did anybody? Uh, did any of our adversaries, but particularly Japan, since they started all this? Did any of them have any concept? I just remember watching the movie Tora, 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 where the uh, Japanese admiral says, we have awakened a sleeping giant. So other than that apocryphal story, did they have any concept of what the United States was capable of? Well, that was Yamamoto. And Yamamoto had uh, studied in the United States. He'd studied at Harvard. He was a naval attache in Washington. And he traveled widely throughout the United States, and he knew the significant industrial base that the U.S. had, even <laughs> though it was kind of dormant at the time yeah. because of the Depression yeah. in the 30s. But he knew we had all these mines, we had coal, we had oil. And, Did he and think of course, we could do this conversion? And, and, and in effect, th th this is the greatness of America at that time. In effect, we ended our consumer economy. And put everything into the military effort. Did, did, they, right. did they imagine that could happen? Well, Yamamoto, <laughs> of course, he, he famously said, you know, if we attack the Americans, we'll run wild across the Pacific for six months. But after that, I can't guarantee you anything. Yeah. Uh, he was saying to the Japanese uh, Imperial General Staff. So he had an idea that uh, they had to do something quickly. <laughs> the other thing Yamamoto said was, we could never attack the American mainland because everybody there has guns. <laughs> uh, I got, and I'm gonna, when we, we've got to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to play something that uh, honors that thought. Bob Cadaro, WILK, Rick Bigelow is our guest. We're talking about the invasion of Bougainville in the, in the uh, South Pacific in World War II. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Bill Scammer, Dallas, born Wilkes-Barre. Grew up in the Heights of Wilkes-Barre, played football for championship GAR Grenadiers. He lived in his home for over 50 years. 
Married to his high school sweetheart, Mary. Mary Ann. They were married for over 55 years before her passing. He also lost a daughter, Kathy. Survived by a son, grandchildren, two great-grandchildren. U.S. Air Force. And then 35 years as a printer, Bill Scammer. Robert Caraglito. Born Pottsville. U.S. Navy, 21 years of active service, including as a combat medic during the Vietnam War. Hospital administrator, State Correctional Institute at Dallas. Survived by his children. His wife, Dorcas, predeceased him. Robert Caraglito. Francis Cribbs, originally uh, Carbondale, late of California. U.S. Air Force, 56 to 1960, this Notre Dame grad, is survived by his wife of 62 years, Marcia. Daughters and a granddaughter, Francis Cribbs. Tom Rivenberg, survived by his wife, Maria, born Carbondale, late of North Carolina. United States Navy, 20-year career. Electronic technician, and then an electronic engineer. Survived by his two children. Tom Rivenberg. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from meteorologist Joe Snedeker. Today, sunny to start, then afternoon clouds, high of 53. Tonight, partly cloudy. It'll get down to about 34. Tomorrow, sunny, high of 60. Friday, partly sunny, maybe showers by Friday night, high of 60 on Friday. Then Saturday, back to maybe more seasonable weather. It'll be about 48 degrees with lingering scattered showers possible. Bob Cadaro back with you, W-I-L-K. Uh, we're talking with Rick Bigelow. We're talking about the Solomon campaign and the invasion of Bougainville. Uh, Rick Bigelow, we talked about the United States capacity, which was virtually endless. I mean, no one had ever seen anything like this in, in any realm, in any comparative prior to this, uh, World War II effort by America. And someone says today, <laughs> we're not capable of it. And obviously that's clear. We can't even supply Ukraine, Israel, and ourselves simultaneously. Uh, what, a, what a fall from grace. Yeah, and, and actually uh, it's interesting that FDR, when he was campaigning in 1940, campaigned on, on staying out of the war and keeping the peace. And there was there was very little enthusiasm for entering into yeah. into the war in in 1940, but at the same time he was uh, uh, prevailing upon Congress to spend all kinds of money on uh, building up our our naval and air assets and uh, also uh, building up the army, yeah. uh, and you know so he was able to to do this. And, of course, one of the uh, people that uh, were instrumental 
in the uh, Two Ocean Navy Act, uh, which was, you know, 1938 to 1940, uh, was a uh, segregationist representative from Georgia. <laughs> and that could never happen today. Yeah, yeah. But FDR kept his, uh, he kept his coalition. And, and the fact that we built up, and of course, I, I think that most people will agree now that it was this buildup of the military that got us out of the, the Depression. Yeah. Uh, so it, it had a very positive effect. And the one other thing you mentioned, uh, did anybody really know in Japan the, the size of the industrial base? And, you know, frankly, they didn't, uh, except for Yamamoto. Yeah. And he, he they, they thought that the Japanese soldiers' fighting spirit would uh, prevail over whatever the uh, the uh, industrial capacity of the U.S. was, and they had no respect for our soldiers, and, well, they, and they, so on and so forth. They still thought Hirohito was a god, yeah, or, or at least a demigod, you know? <laughs> that's right. And one uh, Japanese admiral who was debriefed after the war set, made a comment that he said, we must have been crazy to think we could beat the Americans. <laughs> so... All right, but back to back to Bougainville. A couple interesting things happened. We decide to bypass Rabal, right? And that's because uh, we, it had been stripped down, and they they'd moved uh, assets out of that island. Right. Uh, they they actually their fighters were getting such a beating there from from, and it, you know, basically at this point in time, we would come in with huge bomber and fighter raids and so on and so forth. So they pulled their fighters out, pulled most of their bombers out. So Rabal had, had been uh, essentially neutralized. And uh, so instead of, uh, instead of mounting an assault to take on Rabal, and, you know, frankly, that would have been another really bloody campaign yeah, yeah. because they just don't give up. They, they very rarely surrendered. So they, we decided to uh, pull out of there, focus our efforts on uh, – on New Guinea and then up into the Philippines and plus support Nimitz on his, uh, his march across the central Pacific into the Marianas. Uh, so at this point in time, Halsey was getting itchy. He was, he was down there in new Caledonia, you know, 1500 miles away from the action and so on and so forth. So he prevailed upon Nimitz and, and Admiral King back in Washington to give him a combat command and uh, so he took over the third fleet, and of course he supported the operations going up into the Philippines, and also uh, supported the operations in the Central Pacific with his fast carrier task force that could be off the Philippines one day and a couple days later they're in the Marianas, and uh, so he he was a he was a mobile force, and basically he was uh, basically mobile air airfields. Uh, that they could uh, attack the Japanese uh, where they really didn't expect it. And a guy named uh, Vice Admiral Newton took over. At this point in time, they pulled the U.S. troops out, and Australian troops uh, took over. Uh, We were in firm control of the enclave, but the Japanese were still in the north, south, and and in the eastern part of uh, Bougainville. Uh, So for the next nine months, Wow. There were continued Japanese attacks, and uh, the the Australians suffered. Uh, well, let me let me talk about in the uh, 
U.S. phase of the occupation of Bougainville, the U.S. lost 727 KIAs, and the Japanese lost something like 8,200, plus another 16,000 uh, died from disease and, and, and starvation. So we kind of held those positions until the end of the war. Uh, like I said, the, the Australians were involved in not huge fights, but continued fighting for the next nine months, and they lost 520 soldiers. When the uh, emperor told them to su- surrender, when he commanded the Japanese troops to com- uh, surrender, there were still 20,000 Japanese on on uh, on Bougainville, and uh, they, pardon me, 24,000 Japanese on on Bougainville, and some, some 20,000 had uh, had surrendered, and and uh, none of those had died, and none of those uh, 24,000 were going to surrender uh, unless the uh, emperor commanded it. Yeah. So wow. and and of course the emperor commanded it after the two atomic bombs were were dropped. Yeah. So there were there were lots of Japanese soldiers. There were something like three hundred thousand in the Philippines, a million in China and Manchuria, uh, another half a million in New Guinea and uh, the Dutch East Indies that basically laid down their arms after the atomic bombs dropped and the emperor commanded them to surrender. Amazing. Oh, these these forgotten battles, these forgotten campaigns, they were so bloody in time, treasure, and blood. Uh, you bring it all to us, Rick Bigelow. Thank you. You're welcome. Glad well, to do it, when do we when do we get to hear from you again? What's next well, on I your horizon? Right around uh, December seventh, and of course, we all know what happened yeah. at Pearl Harbor. But I think it's important to talk about what else the Japanese did on December 7th and 8th uh, and and how they just uh, basically swept through much of uh, Southeast Asia in, in, a, in a couple days. So we'll talk about that around uh, Pearl Harbor. Okay, Day. so we got seventh, uh, December 7th and 8th available for you, and uh, we hope to hear from you. All right? Very good. Thank Will you, do. as always, Rick Bigelow, patent attorney extraordinaire, but historian extraordinaire as well. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome, Bob. Glad All to right. do it. Yeah, this is amazing stuff. And I think of, Rick, I am happy you mentioned about your dad being there because that is, I don't know, I just at the right time, I just thinking about, man, somebody knew somebody there. As we're listening to this incredible history, speaking of our our veterans now, uh, here's the the text from Art. Bob, new Bill Scammer and his wife, a vet you honor today. Uh, Your comments were right on. He was a dedicated family man and a gentleman. Yeah, we do four a day unless there's a special request, which we welcome all the time. We do four veterans a day. And those tributes are at the bottom of each hour, right before we give the weather. And uh, fantastic. Now, uh, man, I think about think about what how great we were. Do you see why it's offensive to me that the left, that the Democrat Party hates "Make America Great Again." 
We were great. We were preeminent. We made the world better with our force and our freedom. And they don't like that. I don't know why. That's why they've got to get... Yeah. <laughs> I, I uh, Rick Bigelow uh, alluded to that. Okay, Admiral uh, uh, Yamamoto. Nancy knew that uh, <laughs> there was a lot of people with guns here. Don't invade. Even back in World War II. Mary Regina sends in fresh off of their fantastic event for the Lackawanna County Association for the Blind last night. Homemade pasta. And I missed it. I was furious. But for November 15th, Mother Teresa. One day we will each meet the Lord of the universe. What will we tell him about the life we lived, about how we treated his other children? Deep thought there, especially when we had the uh, head of the breadbasket in northeast Pennsylvania and the Valhalla Veterans Services people here this morning. One day we will each meet the Lord of the universe. What will we tell him about the life we lived? about how we treated his other children. Uh, Mother Teresa had one beautiful story. Uh, Bob Kadar with you at WILK. All right, let's uh, try to get one more in. Joe, we're on a tight timeline, but I wanted to get you in because I we got something coming up at 11 o'clock. Okay, real quick, Bob. Here's an opportunity people missed, and your last speaker brought this out. Look what America was able to do even back when it was segregated, when we openly allowed the practice of racist ideology in our country, look what all of America was able to do. And yet we're allowing these people in our society now to go back and look at that time and say, this is why we suck and we should be proud of ourselves and we've got to remake <laughs> and, and, what we And the African-Americans of that time were not only among our most patriotic uh, citizens, but they were among our best warriors, and they were being screwed by the system. What a great point, Joe. I, I appreciate that. That That is a yeah. big deal. Now, now they're oppressed and hate America. Then, when they yeah. were actually systemically oppressed, they loved their country. And by yeah. the way, the yeah. richest, the richest black population in the world by a mile is in the United States of America. <laughs> well, amen, and keep up the good fight, Bob, because you're bringing out good points. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it always. Yeah. And I got thank those you. emails, so we got to figure out what to do with them. Let's keep in touch. All right. Thank you. All right. We'll take this break. It's time for the news with Paula Degnan. We're going to hear that, and we'll come back with more of the Lollapalooza. It's the Bob Cordaro Show. WYLK News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.